I'm about to take you somewhere where there's a sound that I really love, but in order to do it, I need to mask up. Are you ready? And this is how we start part four of Seeing Sound, the podcast where Playtronica and Lost and Sound team up and take you on a journey between what we hear and what we see. Presented by me, Manford. This is the sound of the U-Bahn, one of my favorite sounds in Berlin. I love how it changes as it gets closer and then pulls away again. To me, it represents how sound changes through space and movement. And to begin, I'm heading off to meet someone who's been transforming space into sound since the 90s. So I've just come up the steps out of the U-Bahn and I've just taken my mask off so I can speak to you. I'm just on my way to meet Robert Henker, producer, installation artist, software designer, and one of the founding pioneers of electronic music in Berlin. Most famously with Mono Lake, a project he started in 1995 with Gerhard Berls, and the two would go on to form the music software company, Ableton Live. He's someone who knows a thing or two about space and how it relates to sound. So I'm just on my way now to have a chat with him. When did you first start connecting music with physical space? You mean as as a philosophical concept or as a practical thought? Um, whichever you prefer to, whichever feels like it's the thought that's going to emerge out of your head in the most pleasant way for you. Well, I, I always had an interest in, in visual art and I always had an interest in sculpture and installations. And so the idea that sound happens in a space and that the the notion of the space is a part of the overall experience was something that was never a secondary thought. It was always inherent to this idea of, of music. So what happens if you put a speaker in a corner of a large room? How does it sound? Uh, what feeling do you have if you are listening to a sound in a, in a room that is really reverberant, for instance? Mm. I mean, part of this whole club experience to me is the fact that the, the places I like most are these kind of industrial empty spaces where everything's rattling and the the room adds its own quality that you can never have at home. So uh, I don't know when I first started to do things, but definitely as soon as I moved to Berlin, which was when I was 19, um, I started working on, on sound installations just because there were empty spaces and I had speakers and a lot of time. And during this time, um, we're talking uh, in the 90s, mm. this was a point where um, Berlin was, um, th there was a lot of techno, I mean there is a lot of techno, but this was about kind of like people using electronic music and, and finding spaces and having installations or what was it like? I was surrounded by people who were just interested in electronic music of all kinds and sound art and 
so it was quite natural that we discovered spaces. Uh, for instance, uh, in Berlin Prenzlauer Berg, where I was living back in these days and where it looked very different than it is now. I mean, now it's kind of posh middle class. Mm. And in the 90s, it was pretty rough and dirty and cheap. But there is a big water reservoir, uh, like underground, uh, constructed out of a lot of concrete circles with lots of empty space in between. And this place was just open, so you could access it. You can go in and you have something like 20 seconds reverb in there. And uh, of course, it's impossible to play any normal music in this place because everything is just becoming this gigantic wall of reverb. Mm -hmm. But it's another fan it's a fantastic place to just play some sparse notes on a synthesizer and listening to them decaying over an enormous amount of time. And we spend a lot of time in there just experimenting. And out of this came basically a lot of this more experimental thinking of what you can do with sound and, and music and spaces. And later I of course started to try doing things in a, in a club context that are a bit different from just a stereo mix, which also might have to do with the fact that I studied sound engineering for, for film at some point in my life. Um, I never worked really in the business, but I got an understanding of why people place sounds in a virtual space, why sound comes from the back or the center or left or right, and that this thinking of where does the sound come from is an integral part of the conception of sound. Mm. And I never understood colleagues who finish their music um, in their studio and say everything that is beyond my studio is not of my interest, other people can take care of it. I always found it m most interesting to see how what I develop inside my small space actually transforms itself to a different space. It's interesting what you're saying as well about like um, going to this kind of natural reservoir place and uh, playing a synthesizer and the reverbs because in a really weird way, um, reverb is a way that sound can measure space, isn't it? Like if you, the amount of reverb you hear can tell you a lot about like the size of a room that the sound is being made and it can sort of give you a, a kind of a sonic idea of your surroundings. Absolutely. I mean, this is one of the the beautiful aspects of um, Berghain for me that when you enter the space you are in the on the ground level and you hear this or if you're at Kraftwerk uh, in any space of, of that size you are experiencing the music first as this very filtered long reverb tail of the music so the the experience of of arriving is you arrive at a very low um, very diffuse machine-like uh, soundscape and then you get closer and closer and closer and the closer you get the more the things get defined so it's like a mist of a dark dense fog that turns into mist that turns into extremely bright clarity on the dance floor and this happens because you move mm. and this makes you part of the composition and I find this so such a great experience uh, that's, I think, one of the, the things that make me immediately smile when I go to a place like that.
I really love reverb and I really enjoy the, the intricacies of, of different types of reverb and of filtered reverb and of grainy reverb and all the different types of information you can encode in, in reverbs. And maybe partially this has to do with the fact that when I was a child I felt quite isolated and I didn't have many friends and I had a, a small room for myself and when I got my first synthesizer and when I finally managed to get a, a reverb unit this idea that I can create a large space, a nearly infinitely large space is also kind of an escape. Mm. Yeah, you, you, you are in your small room but what you hear in your headphones is the gigantic large space with kind of chorusing reverb that is endless and kind of outer worldish colored beautiful uh, it's a transformation into a different mental zone and that's kind of really really powerful I believe yeah I think um, on, you know like in in the physical world there's like you in your bedroom but like through through the experience of listening you, you kind of uh, you're partially creating worlds but also the music is creating worlds for you yeah it's the the music and the sound together they they create an an atmosphere that makes it very easy for me to to mentally uh, go on a journey mm. I mean, mainly it's the music, but of course it's also just the sound of the music. And in a less pseudo-realistic way, of course, I also like the fact that uh, sounds you create with, with reverb are a bit supernatural. So if you if you play a, an acoustic instrument in a room, well, you, you hear the instrument and you hear the room. But just this idea of a snare with a reverb that cuts off uh, creates this really, really interesting sensation of a sound that in one way is familiar. Mm. You know, we, we experience a percussive, percussive sound, but the fact that it cuts off at some point is so completely non-naturalistic, it, it, it immediately makes you pay attention. Yeah. Because our some I, I believe that some part of our evolutionary brain says, ah, oh, that's not correct. Uh, there's an uh, there's an irritation there, and this irritation, of course, is is kind of tingling your nerves and says, "Hey, listen to me, uh, I'm I'm special." Yeah. When you say that, for some reason, the song that came into my head was "Let's Dance" by David Bowie, with yeah. a kind of gated. Exactly. Snare. Yeah. yeah. I mean, all these kinds of sounds that kind um, of transform the idea of space into something a little bit more special is super rewarding to listen to. Mm. Just as the same with, if you think there's a, you hear a singing voice and uh, in the chorus, well, there's a chorus on the voice mm. and it just slightly shifts the perception of the voice, but the slight shift of the perception is enough to, to make it immediately interesting. Mm. And there's so much beauty in in those treatments. Uh, for me, this is all equal to to colors and to to subtle shifts in hue, to how you you treat images when you make a, a film. That you say, okay, um, this scene here needs to be slightly warmer in tone, and this scene needs to be slightly colder. And if you do it right, then you do it on a very subtle level. So it's not obviously, okay, the, the bad guy comes, everything is green. Um, it's just that you think, ah, this image really fit the emotion very well. And 
I kind of want to do the same thing with my music and with my installations and provide these these subtle, subtle, very subtle emotional cues that shift the perception just a tiny little bit. So there's this loop here of how Robert transforms physical space into sound and then from that sound back out into physical space. And I loved the way he was talking about how our perception of sound changes depending on our movement. And when it comes to movement, I started thinking about dance. I mean, if we're talking about physical spaces, is there any more physical as a physical space than our, our own bodies and, and how we move them? And so I'm off to meet a dancer, a choreographer and a director who's become known for how she radically and innovatively reacts to music and sound in her work. Kiani Del Valle, dancer, choreographer, director, her work is physical, raw, and spreads across different mediums like video, theatre, visual art, and feature films, and has often resonated with the glitches and bleeps of electronic music, making stunning videos for artists like Floating Points, Clark, Unknown Mortal Orchestra, and Dirty Projectors. I popped over to her Berlin apartment for a chat, and I asked her where her versatile approach comes from. Yeah, I feel like in a way, you know, I picked dance as this pathway that I, now, now there's like young kids and everybody's doing whatever they want and it's amazing. But I think when I started doing dance, it was there was really this stigma that you have to dance in a company until you get injured, you know, and after you get injured or after you cannot dance anymore, then you choreograph and you have to choreograph in commissions in companies first and da 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 And I was always dancing in companies, choreographing, training in other studios and making my own work. I was always kind of choreographing. Mm -hmm. And I think it, that playful way of seeing dance, because I remember being in dance school and not in Puerto Rico, because in Puerto Rico, everything was more, way more open. But I remember being in Alvin Ailey in New York and a lot of people were like, yeah, you just say like, work until you made it to the company and then you might have other jobs on the side, but in dance-wise, that's what you're doing, you know? But now there's kids doing choreography and crazy video stuff and like from a really early age. So I think that's exciting uh, mm. to see that this stigma is broken and that people are not conforming themselves with these structures and they're creating a, a road of their own, you know? Mm. Um, because when I started doing it, I really didn't have that many people that were doing... I mean, of course, I, I don't want to say it didn't exist, because of course there are, and I have peers, but... Yeah, I didn't have a lot of friends that were choreographers and doing everything from, like, something in a gallery, to a video, to a feature film, to a theater play, to movement coaching an artist or an actor, or, you know, and... Um, I had a lot of uh, choreographers that I looked up to that were uh, commissioned in theaters, 
And I have some installation artists that use dancers in their pieces that I loved. But never kind of like someone free falling in the dancing, just doing everything, you know. But now there's more of them and it's exciting. Yeah. And um, if we think about it in relationship to Puerto Rico, it's also no surprise that I was this way because in my family there was everything, you know. And it's bizarre because at some point we were asked to choose. Mm -hmm. But, you know, in retrospective, if I look at my family, I was like, that was like a gumbo of so many things, you know? Like, for example, one of my closest aunts, she, a really simple example, she's, she used to be a famous actress and a dancer too. And now to this day, every Christmas, uh, she organizes a party and she does a play that back in the day used to be really famous in the island, which was the three, three queens instead of the three, three kings. So it's like the three wives of the three kings. And her and her two other sisters, who are also like legends in acting, you know, field in Puerto Rico, they do, like you're at this party at this house, like eating Puerto Rican food, and then all of a sudden it's like clang, 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 and the play starts, and they, they do the play, and there's this super famous actresses with my aunt, and they're doing the play and they do like I remember bringing my partner to Puerto Rico and he was like what's going on there's like a play in the middle of the party and like you know and then all of a sudden my uncle will come in and like he has like a little duo with a friend and then they play like a few songs and then people dance and yeah and like my sister was like you know in the choir of kids of San Juan and she was always warming up and playing and doing kind of like all her voice warm-ups or with super crazy opera warm-ups yeah the other sister was acting my mom was writing uh, my dad had a business but was super creative and always obsessed with music that was one of his biggest passions too so now everything that I was exposed to is kind of like in my work even though it's dance are there, there are certain things that you can think of when you hear a piece of music that you know that your body is going to move in a certain way to yeah 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 i mean for example with sam's video with an espole video that we've done so long ago it was almost like mimicking the sound the sound was really da, 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 really sharp and then my body was like doing that, you know, at the same time. But there's other works, um, and I think it works the same for the Dirty Projectors video, for that last scene where David, the main guy of the band, is doing the solo. It was also really like sharp and intricate sound, even though it was completely different type of music, but it's actually quite similar to that one sharp character in the Floating Points video that was all really sharp and directional, you know? So they're kind of like connected and correlated, even though they're from completely two completely different music universes, you know mm. what I mean? Um, and one is me performing, and then the other one is me doing it on David's body mm. for his own music video. So I think um, it happens often that my body just like imitates and I can expect like my body's gonna move this way. Mm. But um, there's a lot of different music recently that I move in ways that I would have not expected. I kind of like listen to it and I have a lot of fun recording myself because there's things coming out that I would never expected, you know? 
And this, when you're solo in the studio, making a solo, you have to make sure you document all this. You put cameras before you do all this because if, if things are going to go out of you and they're provoked by a piece of music and you don't have any outside eye there helping you, like, that's the thing. Like, keep it, repeat it. Then, yeah, video becomes, like, a really important tool for solo making, definitely. And yeah. do you go back and watch videos that you've done and notice things that you can't remember doing? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Is it very easy to get lost when you're when you're responding to music or, or responding to your own movements? Um I feel that um if I put myself in that position I can get lost. Um but I feel that I've also I've been kinda like free falling recently and just being like everything's kind of there and mm -hmm. i just have to really listen you know specifically with personal things that have, have happened recently that i just this i just realized when i'm writing something that wow i'm making at the moment i'm, I'm making my first sculpture in a really long time mm. <laughs> even though i come from visual art before i did dance you know and it's kind of like I'm so shy about it, but excited, you know, because it will have dance, but I just want to make a sculpture for this dance, you know, so I'm just making like you're it. you're actually making a physical sculpture. Yes, yes. Right. And, and I just like, I don't know why, I, like my brain worked that way. I was like, I, I need a sculpture for this piece. I, it was mm. a given, like there was no question, this piece needed a sculpture, you know. Mm. But if you look at my body of work, like so random, she's making a sculpture now, like what the fuck, you know? <laughs> but I'm like, okay, I'm making a sculpture. I don't know how to make it. And then I'm like, I have to design it. And then I start writing the sculpture, like drawing it. And then I realize that the sculpture was saying something that I'm going through and I'm being ignoring. And it's kind of like coming out in visual form, even though I've been ignoring it. So it's kind of like I'm, I'm reminding myself that I got to get it done or it's really strange. I know it sounds super esoterical, no, but... No, I, 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 I have many experiences yeah. like that. I think, yeah. I don't know what it is and I, I can't say, I can't pinpoint it, but I, yeah, I've been learning how to listen uh, recently because obviously I've been doing this for a really long time and the reality is like I wouldn't be able functioning in society doing something different really like this is just what I do you know and I love making dances it makes me incredibly happy you know it's the one thing that can shoot me into any emotion that existed possible you know and yeah, I have a really close relationship with my dance too because it, it kind of like became something more tangible, like almost like a best friend when you've been an immigrant, you know, a, an immigrant for so long and, and dance is the only constant thing or the thing that takes you to places. Then you also kind of develop this weird relationship to this thing that is not tangible, but it's like I really have a lot of excitement for it and respect for it. And yeah, I love it. I love what I do, you know? So I, yeah, I feel that allowing yourself to listen instead of becoming like a robot, you know, being like, I gotta get this project, 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 project after project, you know? And it all becomes about, you know, how calculated things are and how on point you could do it and how fast you can do it and how many gigs you can do a month. I think the quality gets 
really lost and then you're not listening to yourself, you know? Yeah. Unless you're super human. Which I'm not. Which I'm definitely not. So thanks, Kiani, for ending on the note of how listening, I guess, can be more to do with intuition than, than like literally hearing things. And beginning the journey today with Robert connecting up reverb and the space around to the sounds that kind of an, a, 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 a music person can make and, and then again sort of in a cyclical way how that kind of comes out into the world. Talking of cycling, there's lots of cyclists around me. I'm in Tempelhofer Feld, which is the largest inner city open space in the entire world. I'm walking on a runway because this place used to be an airport. Now it's a park and it's full of cyclists. It's about three and a half kilometers in all to cycle round it, maybe more. There's people on skateboards, there's people doing barbecues, reading books on the grass, and there's an allotment if you want to plant some veg and plants and watch them grow and then eat them. And the strange thing is that although there's a lot of people here, they're all dotted around at different levels on the spectrum of, of, of my horizon way off into the distance. And it's surprisingly calm. It's almost like the bigger the space there is, the, the quieter things can be. And that is a little clue to where we're going to be going next week, where we continue our encounters into what we see and what we hear. Seeing Sound is a Lost and Sound production for Playtronica, written and produced by me, Paul Hanford. Music by Olga Maximova. And thanks in this episode to Kiani Del Valle and Robert Henker. <laughs>